0: The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Guerrilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host Paul Spain. Uh, Great to have Mark Callender with us again. How are you Mark? Great, thanks for having me. And before we jump in, a big thank you to our show partners, Guerrilla Technology, 2Degrees, HP, Spark, Vodafone, Cyclone and Aruba. Now, things have changed since last time we, uh, we sat down for a, a podcast. Uh, you're formerly Chief Executive at, uh, at Vocus New Zealand. Uh, now it's a, a somewhat uh, larger entity, two degrees. Everything's kind of come together.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, again, very exciting from my perspective. Um, again, something I've been uh, passionate about for a very long time, uh, as I've been in this industry for 20-odd years. The lure of two degrees has been uh, been there for a long time. It's always been a business I've admired from afar, uh, like many of the businesses we've bought over the years. Um, so it's it's you know fantastic to be sitting here as the uh, new new chief executive of two degrees, and the opportunities ahead. So yeah, really excited to be here. So look forward to having yeah. a chat. Well, congratulations on closing that
0: deal. Are there any? There's probably a whole lot of stats and numbers and and things. But you know what is that combined merged entity? Look like now in terms of in terms of scale, what are we talking about?
1: Big, so uh, <laughs> it's positive. Um, so in terms of revenues, so we're about 1.2 billion in turnover, uh, which is which is just a big number. Um, the, the the more impressive number when when you start talking about our staff numbers. So we've you know we've got about 1,800 staff combined. Uh, if I'd told you 10 years ago or 20 years ago, I'd be sitting here with a combined workforce of 1,800 staff. I would have told you we're dreaming, uh, but here we are. Uh, the the really exciting thing about the business though is really the assets it owns. So it's you know it's it's phenomenal mobile infrastructure that we've purchased um, through the acquisition, the fibre assets we own, um, and the staff we've acquired through the process. So you know all of a sudden I've got you know sixty retail stores. Didn't think I'd be sitting here with sixty retail stores either. So um, you know the combined business is just in a phenomenal position, um, a very unique position given uh, not many challenges have the assets we own to um, go head to head against uh, you know the incumbents in market and. Uh, it's that DNA and that that passion and that challenger drive that's uh, that's still burning a big big hole in my belly today, and is what I'm looking forward to in the years ahead. So, you very much still see the business as a challenger brand. Very much so. Um, challenger is one of the key words I've used over the last uh, few weeks as I've uh, spoken to staff and gone around the country and visited retail stores. It was it was nearly a dirty word, challenger. But um, to me, it's it sums up the business. Right, If we're not a challenger. We don't. You know, what is our purpose in life? Uh, we've challenged every market we've gone into, be that, you know, telecommunications, fixed mobile, energy. Uh, we've just launched into insurance. Um, so anything we look at, we we take a challenger lens to it. Uh, and to me, people choose us because we're a challenger. So they don't choose us because we're a smaller version of Spark or a smaller version of Vodafone. Uh, we have to carve out our niche in the market. So I love the word challenger. Uh, I, I mention it every second word when I speak to my staff. Um, and it's something to be incredibly proud of. Um, and it's, it is the essence of the businesses we own today.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Now, if we sort of go back a, a little bit in time, when did you get into this? When did you first get involved in the world of telecommunications, yeah.
1: Mark? So actually, um, like, like all good lieutenants, started at uh, Telecom. So uh, in the late 90s when uh, dial-up was all the rage. So my first my first job was actually working at Extra, which was the uh, obviously the internet division of Telecom at the time. I uh, said about four years at Telecom. Um, and to be honest, I actually loved my time there. So I loved the love the people, loved the love, love the staff I worked with, loved the culture, uh, and got frustrated by a lot of the the challenges or or incumbency that comes with a very large company. Um so always knew my grassroots and my career have was in challenger businesses prior to that, and um, I knew I had to step out and work in a very large uh, business, which I did with telecom uh, to to just learn. Uh, become a better person, better leader. Um, understand how big, large corporates worked, and reinforce that I love being a challenger. So it was a, it was a great four years. And from there, I actually we uh, went off and set up, set up my own marketing and brand company. And ironically enough, picked up uh, Slingshot as a client. So that was my first foray back into kind of challenger telco businesses. And like I say, that was that was nearly 20 years ago now. And we had 35 staff when I started, and here we are today, two degrees with 1,800 staff. So um, so you've been in the industry for 20 years. I uh, loved it. Um, I think my biggest reflection on the industry today, um, and you've been in the industry a long time, and, and technology for a long time, is telecommunication companies are actually incredibly valued. We're not Dumb Pipes anymore. We're critical to society. We're critical to um, you know, cloud enablement, uh, how people run their lives, how people run their businesses. So it's been quite nice to have been in there so long to see how exciting we were. The Dumb Pipes came along then again, how exciting we are as, in terms of enablement companies. So.
0: Yeah, and if you you look back to some of those early days, what are some of the things that uh, that sort of stand out in your memory? I, I think you know, the, the business been called Vocus recently. What was it? What was it called in the in the earlier days? Well, if,
1: if you go back to the, the nucleus of where the kind of the consumer internet business began, so you go back twenty years, we were we were a company called Core Plus and we were a, we were a toll bypass company focused on the business market. Um, and then this this thing called dial up internet came along, and we set up a company at the time called Live for Free. Uh, which was there were a few free ISPs that came into the market. That's quite uh, a fascinating story. I for free, maybe you
0: can just yeah. sort of you know break break that down because there's probably a bit of history that some yeah. people will will remember and other people will have pre- no pre- no <laughs> idea that such a <laughs> thing could exist. Yeah,
1: I'm pretty sure most legal cases of society now, so we're we'll be, we'll be fine <laughs> to talk about it. But but essentially, the way the interconnect regime worked many moons ago was um, you used to have to pay for a call to go one way or another. Um, The fascinating thing with dial-up internet, it was a one-way call. So uh, disruptors in the market at the time um, obviously jumped on the fact that a dial-up call used, you know, an outbound dial-up tone one way of which you got paid interconnect revenue. So across New Zealand and the world, these things called free ISPs came up. They were free to the extent that we, you know, the businesses survived on the interconnect revenue that came the other way. Right, so somebody
0: calls in from, say, maybe they're a, a customer of Telecom Calling from Telecom to your network, Telecom has to pay your end x cents a minute for Correct. for, for that, that call. call. So if somebody spends all day on the internet, good you know, for us. Basically, <laughs> you're, you're, you're just earning money. So, yes. so
1: obviously, plenty of other investments, but that that, that was the essence of it. So we yeah. um, yeah. so again, there was uh, at the time there was i for free, there was free net, there were there were a few others. Um, Tel, I think Telstra Clear was free net at the time. So this this phenomenal thing called free internet came up at the time, and at the time, to be clear, I was working at uh, Telecom at the time, so I was actually on the other side of the fence, <laughs> charging people thirty nine ninety five a month for dial up internet. So from there, obviously, this worked very well for the free ISPs in the market, but but Telecom at the time, uh, obviously, wasn't so good for them. So they actually took most of the free ISPs to court, um, and over over the course of kind of a weekend, the free ISPs got shut down through an injunction for, uh, through Telecom at the time. And then over the weekend, our business was shut down, so we had to come up uh, with a new model, and that new model was a, was a pay ISP model. Um, and that's where we came up with the name Slingshot, and Slingshot uh, derived from David and Goliath, which is where we the David telecoms the Goliath, and essentially over a weekend, we, we converted from a free ISP to what many people will be following with today, as Slingshot, uh, which, was a, which was a three-month prepay uh, dial-up service at the time. So like, that was a nucleus of how the business even evolved to get into the consumer market. And so when you talk around kind of a challenger DNA and, and really understanding what a challenger, I mean, it goes back to those you know 20 years ago in, those, in the trenches at the time, trying to survive, trying to build business models, trying to take on incumbency. And that's, that's a nucleus of the business 20 years ago. And it's, it's still, we have remnants of it today. Uh, when I obviously uh, took over the Two Degrees business, it was kind of with pride I got up and I could see people in the crowd that were back there 20 years ago that, that came up with a name that built the ISP that transferred the model. It was horribly unsuccessful, though. It was we lost most of our customers overnight. So I think it, at our peak, we had about one hundred and eighty thousand free ISP customers, and over a weekend we kind of dropped back to about ten thousand. So it was uh, right. It so was that, rebuilding from that would from have been ground. been
0: generating some quite significant yeah you know, revenue, having one hundred and eighty thousand customers. Yeah, yeah,
1: it was at that time. That was there was still significant infrastructure that needed to be built. So it, sure. it might sound big, but it was certainly not profitable. So uh, like any any business and any industry outside of telco, scale is critical and it was really trying to build scale. So from where it went to to where it dropped to, we'd built infrastructure for 170, 180,000 customers, all of a sudden you've got you've got quite a bit of cost of the air carrying for the balance. So so sounds glamorous, but I can assure you it wow. was it was stressful, it was uh challenging, it was um character building for the people involved. Um, but you know, from my perspective, it it's still part of the business we have today. And the two degrees business has gone through through similar things, you know, similar history with strong individuals in the market like Tex Edwards that um have you fought for years to drive uh true competition and outcomes for uh, you know mobile and pricing and everything in the market both businesses have very very similar stories and um it's it's you know it's a phenomenal opportunity and privilege to see them kind of come together you know in the last uh, month or so, so.
0: Yeah, so those early days on the two degrees side, Tex and others basically managed to launch a, a mobile network there where there where there wasn't one to uh, Absolute, uh, to yeah. compete with the other players. What what are the you know highlights that you can you know recall from the, that time, yeah. or what you think were the kind of the linchpins that allowed that to happen?
1: So again, if you if you come back and talk about the fundamentals of resilience, you know uh, individuals like Tex Edwin, there were, there were others as well. There mm. were you know no different to Core cool Plus in the early days there you know, There are great people in these businesses, but the resilience to keep fighting, trying to raise capital, trying to get access to spectrum uh trying to drive competition, you know you do these things for a long period of time with with kind of no real reward and outcome and and there were some phenomenal pioneers back in the days of two degrees that that two degrees launched in two thousand and nine for the first time, but it was going for several years prior to that so so it's, um, you know, it's credit to people like that that continue fighting, um, again, for fundamental belief in terms of, you know, driving true competition in the market. And and the business got to 2009 and actually managed to launch. So, you know, originally started out with its heritage, which was a consumer prepay uh, business model, uh, which was really hard because, um, again, the, the consumer prepay side of the business is the lower value side of the equation. It required, you know, significant, uh, obviously, building of infrastructure. It required roaming agreements on other people's networks. Um wasn't easy. And again, it's with admiration that I, I saw the Two Degrees business grow from its early beginnings of prepay uh into the very successful businesses today. And it's it comes back to I think unique individuals, uh unique passion, unique desire. And uh, you know, there's lots of people that are involved in that journey, but it's you know, it's they're pretty phenomenal stories when you actually understand where they come from.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, um look looking at two degrees in terms of, you know, where they, where they are now as a as a network and Mobile subscribers and so on. What does that uh, what yes. does that look like at this time?
1: So, if, if, if at a high level, you know the industry's about a five and a half billion dollar industry. So, you know we sit at you know about one point two billion of it. So revenue share, you know, call it twenty percent, twenty percent of that market. Uh, in terms of uh, customer subscriber numbers, we've got about one point six million mobile subscribers. We've got about three hundred and fifty thousand broadband subscribers. So it's a it's a, it's a very large business. Um, but the, the challenge for the business uh, and the mandate that we've got is it's a growth mindset still. So uh, again, the point I'm reinforcing, we're kind of at the start line. Uh, we are we, we're just beginning. So you know we've been incredibly successful businesses in our own right. But you know I use use the terminology victory victory disease. You know we, we we're just beginning. So it's how we grow. It's how we forge. It's how we attract talent. It's how we be different from here. I talk around that challenger DNA all the time. It's you have to think like that, you've got to have a growth mindset. So the number one thing I want with people coming into our business is a growth mindset. Having spent four years or so at, at Telecom or Spark at the time, the real interesting difference is back then it was around how you prevented yourself going backwards or alternatively, how do you keep putting up prices so you don't go backwards, right? It's a completely different mindset when when you're a challenger business that's grown organically all through acquisition as we've done over the years as well. You have to think differently because you have to grow each month. Right? You, you have to worry about cash coming in the door. You have to worry about all of those things, and that's the exciting part is um, these highs and lows, and that's really what I think bonds, teams, and challenger businesses.
0: So how do you do that now? Because when you're able to grow by acquisition, right, there were sort of you know these varying options to grow. You don't really have a whole big list left, I imagine, of, um, of acquisition you know, targets at, at, at this time and looks to me like a you know, reasonably sort of competitive market you've got you know Spark sitting there they've got cheeky skinny brand there to to try and uh, you know keep, keep us here. at bay uh, yeah yeah try and yeah. Hold, hold you back there Vodafone uh, very well established i think i remember joining their network when it was uh, was it Bell South when it when it launched and yep. maybe one of the first 100 or, or so customers yep. incredible customer service uh, that they delivered at that time because there basically wasn't really a mobile network to to support it. So you'd be diverting your mobile calls off to yep. landlines and uh and things like that. So, you know, we've had a really, really interesting uh journey over the over the years. But um yeah, where do you where do you go from here to uh to be able to grow in
1: this month? <laughs> yeah, so so good question. And again, I think the challenge I have to my team is again I use the terminology, we can't be a mini-Spark, or we can't be a mini mini of fun. You know, that that thinking is not what we need in the business. We need to continue to evolve and be different. And as you say, the, the acquisition opportunities are less and less as you get bigger and bigger. Um, my big challenge to the business is, you can be big, but think small, right? And that's the, the key aspect we have. We have to maintain that agility to be different to the, the incumbents in the market. When we look at share growth and opportunity growth from here, the market has got tougher, but that also leans, leans into our favour in that the opportunity to to lead and differentiate is still through innovation, and that comes in many forms. So if I use simple examples like uh, the Two Degrees business has, has this fantastic thing called a data clock, which is uh, unlimited uh, data usage, one hour every day for uh, every customer on a uh, on a certain plan. That's a, f- a phenomenal innovation. So you can literally jump up in the morning or you can have a kid on a school bus that goes, actually, I want my unlimited uh, data between 3 and 4 p.m. or you know 7 or 8 p.m. So that's an amazing innovation that differentiates us from competitors. But the the other key point is it comes back to the services layer now. So where I uh, I talk a lot about network and infrastructure, but when I talk to my company, I talk to our company as if we're a software company because fundamentally people don't buy networks, they consume services. When we build an app or a uh, self-service application, we don't try and compare ourselves uh, to a Spark or a Vodafone, we compare ourselves to a Netflix or an Uber. Uh, in terms of how they might want to consume services. And that's how we'll differentiate and win. Right, so it's at the services layer, it's at the digital experience layer, and that's right through the value stack. So when I say those things, I don't talk just specifically around a consumer. I talk around um, medium enterprise, large enterprise government. There is no reason that a you know a large enterprise customer today can't go through a software portal to consume and configure data networks, be that SD-WAN or Ethernet services or um, access to Azure. right? That should all be done through software platforms. So our ability to grow is, interesting enough, going to come through services innovation and digital innovation. And we've got the backdrop of obviously being a challenger. We own value and price in the market, right? That's that's what we are as a challenger. The key to how we're going to win more share is through our services layer. And that's where we're really pushing the team to kind of innovate and drive.
0: How hard do you see that being? Because as you've got, you know, you're bringing together a, multiple brands, but you know, effectively, you know, two two companies. You know, we've we've chatted about this a little bit before, but uh, sometimes when we've seen other brands come together, make acquisitions <laughs> in the market, that's been a pretty challenging process. And I, I know, you know, Vodafone's been probably talked about them on the on the podcast and, and years gone by where they've acquired IHUG and Uh, Telstra clear and so on you brought these brands to or they brought the brands together but uh, the technology integration behind the scenes was years in the making to actually get across the across the line how hard is that looking for you know for your team to sort of pull things to uh, together obviously you've got some background with you know over the years of acquiring companies and Pulling these things together, how hard is this one? Looking from the the, the technical perspective,
1: absolutely. So f- first, I would say again, you know, I've got a, I actually have a lot of respect for our competitors, and that they've been Spark and Vodafone. And what I like about strong competitors is it does push and drive us to be better as an organisation. You'll be aware we're actually we have a very large wholesale business, and um, we're actually a very motivated wholesale business. So we've got some great wholesale customers, great large wholesale customers on our network, um, and I often get challenged. By various people as to why we would do that, and my response is fairly simple in that uh, we are pro competition. We always have been. We've been pro competition for twenty years. Um, competition is good because it drives innovation. So if I if I'm enabling wholesale customers in the market, it's going to make my retail business stand up on its own merits and innovate and and drive and succeed as well. So that's a, a really really important point in terms of the integration. First and foremost, we've done lots of them. So um, you know, the twenty odd years I've been there, we've probably done. 20 meaningful ones, and I can throw off Woosh Wireless to Stuff Fiber to Orcon to Switch Utilities, which was an energy company. And uh, and I get asked this question all the time it's like, how are you going to do it? Why is it why you're not having sleepless nights about it? Uh, Firstly, got a great, great team uh, around us. But secondly, it's actually a, a process, it's a repeatable process, and it takes discipline. It takes, you know, you've got to understand the burden of technical debt in your business. You've got to prioritise uh, integration above other initiatives in your business. Um, so not making it sound easy, but but over the years, the ones we, and we've done some bad and we've done some very good, and the successful ones we've done, we've, we've done at pace. We understand our end destinations early, uh, we bring people on the journey with us, uh, we clearly communicate why we're going in a certain direction, but it's discipline. Um, and it's too easy to get distracted by big, new and shiny versus integration. And the one thing we've always done very well is we've we've carved out resource, we've prioritised integration, we've prioritised customer, because the key thing people will get in integration is customer. Right? It's not the technology stacks that struggle, it's your customers that struggle. So, so you've got every incentive to get it right. So I can't speak on, again, behalf of others. All I can say is the ones we've done well, we've got a formula now. Uh, I've got a head of integration, um, a guy called Adrian Dick, working for me, I've worked with Adrian for 20 years and we work incredibly well together. But, but again, the experience we've learned over the years, um, we're just going to rinse and repeat. I don't want to jinx myself too early, but <laughs> but things are going well and you know we're communicating well with the team and we've got good progress um, and we're focused, we've got a clear plan, we're sharing that plan. And we, again, we just get that balance right between what does the business need and what does integration mean and what does it mean for customers? You get those three things right, you, Touchwood, we'll, we'll get this one right as well. Mm. Um, so we're, we're feeling a little bit confident, but we'll see how we go. Cool.
0: Now, I'm really, really curious about your brands. You know, such as Orcon and Slingshot, two talk there as well. The Vocus uh, brand is more on the business side. I, I remember being being asked—I can't remember which media outlet it, it was—but someone was asking me, "Well, what does what does this future look like with the businesses potentially coming together in the past?" And I looked and I thought, "Well, you know, this is the, the way that that Vocus and, and Mark seem to run—is there's a, a bunch a bunch of brands—and yep. so I thought, "Well, maybe that's how it's gonna it's yeah. gonna play out." But uh, you're uh, you're squishing <laughs> squishing all of the brands and converging into one. So, how did you land on that on that decision? Can you walk us through a little bit of yeah. of how you how you got there and and why uh, Orcon will be will be gone for good and so on?
1: Another very good and tough question. I think the fir- the first thing you learn from that is you you've got to put your personal emotive ties aside, right? So I'm I'll bleed Slingshot. I'll, I'll bleed Orcon. I've developed those brands. I've been involved in those brands for twenty years. So it's not with a heavy heart that I, you know, we say we're going to a single brand. But through all those years, we've always challenged ourselves on why we have multi-brand strategy as well. And it's worked very well for us, given our position in the market, our ability to spend on marketing dollars, um, the ability to have cut through in the markets we compete in. So for us, the multi-brand strategy, given our relative size and relative marketing effectiveness, has always worked. The one really, really exciting thing that is even surprised me more when I've come into the Two Degrees business, is the Two Degrees brand is a loved brand. It is, whether you're speaking to customers or staff, it's a brand that's loved by all, it's a brand that's bigger than the brand It has a purpose, which is again, fighting for fear for to make New Zealand a better place to live. Uh, so every essence of that brand and a challenger brand is is phenomenal. And, and when we've always challenged ourselves on the multi-brand strategy we've run, we've actually looked across the fences with envy to go on, so nice to have a single brand, because <laughs> because with with our multi brand strategy that we've historically run is we've actually run different businesses, right? So we've had a slingshot business and an Alcon business, and a, we've actually structurally we've run the business separately, and we do it uh, purposefully, and it's something again that Malcolm and Annette taught me in the early days, which is if you want a business to be successful, you need to give it its resources, you need to ring fence it, and you need it to control its destiny, and that's what our multi brand strategy has always allowed us to do. So that's with a lot of emotion. I talk about those brands. And we've got this fantastic thing called Two Degrees. Two degrees is a again a once in a lifetime opportunity to, to kind of go that next level again. Two degrees is a is a value brand in the market. It's it's incredibly well known. It's awareness is through the roof. It's consideration is through the roof. So every aspect we look at that brand and we've we've looked at it from afar going, it would be amazing if we could have that brand and we're now in the position we've got it. So then we need to put our customer hat on and go, well. What are the pros and cons behind keeping the various brands? And we haven't quite kicked them to touch yet, but we're we are we're going to go through the relevant research that you'd expect to make those final decisions. But the strength of that brand, the opportunity to evolve that brand through consumer to medium business, to enterprise to government is the big opportunity. And we think to achieve our simplification of the business and innovation of the business, we can do that more effectively under a single brand structure. So the... You know, the way I've now aligned uh, my team uh, for success moving forward is under a single brand structure, so we can achieve those objectives. Um, I think we'll, in the longer term, take more share under a single brand strategy than a multi-brand strategy. But I would like to reinforce to all my Slingshot and all customers out there, they're gonna get a fantastic service under two degrees, It's nothing's gonna change. <laughs> but but there are lots of benefits to going to that, that single brand strategy. So, um, you know, share of voice, marketing effectiveness, you know, we want to be standing up alongside a spark of Vodafone and Two Degrees when, when you see our brand and how much we're spending in the market and our awareness and how relevant we are in the market. So so a long way of saying, you know, brand's very emotional to me. I've been involved with them from a very long time, but I know fundamentally that it's the success of the business and the, the the team has done an amazing job on the Two Degrees brand. Our future is the Two Degrees brand moving forward. Yeah, We are keeping the Two Talk brand separate for your listeners out there. You've got a few um, very strong technology people out there listening today. Uh, Two Talk is a phenomenal business. Um, it's run by a lady called Jude Talk, <laughs> Jude uh, Flood. <laughs> so Jude Flood runs runs Two Talk. It's a it's a phenomenal business. Um, I was uh, in there at the company last week because it's quite hard from my position. I get up and talk around this phenomenal one company one brand strategy, and I've got this awesome team that's sitting in another building, um, but. Again, my message to Jude and the team is, you know, they're a critical part of the business. Um, you know, they do—they've got a phenomenal IP voice business, a phenomenal software stack. Uh, they do a great job in, in key segments of the market. So that is one part of the business we are just going to continue to invest in, but it will operate completely separately. Yep. So peeling back the covers a little bit,
0: sort of going going through that exercise and figuring this out. How long did it take? You know, how many? people were involved. What what did that look like? Because I just think it's you know, it's obviously quite a pivotal and and key, you know, moment for the
1: for the businesses. And yeah, just
0: kind of yeah, curious. Curious. Yeah. yeah.
1: So the advantage we have is we we kind of do it every year. So again, if you look at our consumer business today, we have we have slingshot, orchan, and flip. So we've we've had these had these three brands. So we challenge us every year whether it's the right strategy or not. And we've been we've had big debates on flip and whether two versus three and we'd kind of reached the point two was probably the best place to land and so flip was flip had a path to being uh, removed from the business anyway so we challenge ourselves as an executive team every day and it really comes back to the to the fact we've we've envied looking at our competitors with a large single brand to really get behind back and drive outcomes it probably wasn't as long as you thought because we think about it all the time right we're constantly challenging ourselves on that multi-brand strategy we've thought through do we keep two degrees and a slingshot as our challenger brand or, um, you know, a flip as our challenger. We've we've gone through that process, but I think all roads lead back to the fact we want to back uh, a single brand and we want to be a serious challenger in all market segments. We believe the most effective way to do that is under a single brand strategy. So I've probably had more sleepless nights than most on it, um, um, and I'll I'll have a marketing and research team out there going, oh, we're still going to research it, which we will do, but um, I I think we'll get to the the end destination. The, The challenge we have... Again, because we've got these two very successful businesses today, you know, we've got Slingshot that still signs up thousands of customers every month. We've got Two Degrees that signs up thousands of customers every month. You know, two become one. How do we how do we not lose or cannibalize that opportunity? And that's the big challenge we've got as a business. So we will we will tread carefully. We will, we will make sure that it's the right outcome for our customers, and we also want to make sure it's the right outcome for the business, and that we that we continue to take our unfair share of of, of the market out there. And... Yeah, hopefully we're here in twelve months and how successful it was, but
0: yeah. So, what do you see as the sort of the you know the challenges that you have to face up to 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 go forward? I th- you know I think if you you probably know this better the better than I do. I hope you do anyway. If, you know if you were asking people around where they see two degrees position, you know I think there'll be a a, a viewpoint of it being more towards the consumer than than probably the big business and government and, yep. and and so on. The feedback I I I guess I hear is that yeah the network has, you know, really grown a lot, but it's probably not quite on equal footing in, in some parts of the country with the competitors. Yeah, how do you how do you work through these things? Where do you where do you go from from here to become sort of player
1: that's equal footing? I don't know how you, quite yeah. how you put that. So but. so first and foremost I would say the networks are equal. So I would say they're equal from a coverage perspective, from a quality perspective. Um, there's lots of independent research out there at the moment on the networks. So the one thing I would say is I think the, that we've got three uh, well-invested, high-quality networks in New Zealand. And that's probably reinforced by the fact that, you know, you don't see too many people shouting network today, right? I think it's it's kind of the network equivalence is there. And that's at a, both the a fibre infrastructure layer and also, um, I would speak quite strongly to say it's also at the mobile network layer. Uh, and having looked at this business, you know, three, three or four times over the years, the one thing that has changed over that time has been the investment in the network. So the last three years, significant investment in both kind of build out of the network and partnerships to deliver uh, coverage that's that's on par. So, you know, reducing resilience on roaming and you know, being able to fully leverage both our network investment and spectrum investment. So. Uh, so first and foremost, I can sit here with complete confidence, going. I think our networks have complete equivalence today. Sounds um, like I need to uh, get a,
0: a two degree sim again as I'm off around the country. Ab- and, absolutely, uh, we'll take that challenge uh, and every day of the week. Have a look. So. I'll get it. We'll have it here
1: by you know <laughs> four o'clock before you, you yeah, pick okay. up for the day. But the one thing does take a long time to change the perception. You know, if if you went back three or four years ago, there were probably rightfully so some 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 issues with the. The equivalence of those networks which have been resolved so mm. again the team's done a phenomenal job there so so i'm less concerned about that so our, our job as a company now is changing perception and mm. as you're aware changing perception is probably the harder part than building in a network because perception lasts for a very long time uh, and that's that's where we've got to embark to take this brand so if i can sit here today and say our network is has equivalence to others in the market the real question then is how do we m- be more relevant to high value households Medium enterprise, high enterprise, and government, um, and, and that, from my perspective, is just a brand issue. All right. So if I can, you know, you would have seen uh, plenty of advertisements out there talking about the billion dollars we've spent on a network. Um, you would have seen our sponsorship of Super Rugby. We were, you know, the um, one of the major sponsors of the Super Super Rugby team. That is around trying to change perception around the size and scale of the network infrastructure we've got, and that it's comparable. So that's that's what that's you know you don't see that in the ads, but that's what it's trying to do. It's trying to go. Uh, we're significant, we're equivalent, we're here, consider us. Uh, our job is how we execute that in market. And I, I use an analogy with my team, which I'm not sure they like or not, but, um, you know, you talk around, I, I talk around, if, if I think about two two planes on a tarmac and you've got a competitor-branded plane and our-branded plane, you know, the planes are of similar quality, we've got the same talent, and in terms of the the pilots are sitting there, we've, we're both paying to be at Auckland Airport because we've got leases and... We've we've stood up the same international routes, you know. So we've done all this sort of stuff, and uh, the challenge we have is, you know, we passengers pour into our planes. You know, a lot of our passengers turn right, not many turn left. Uh, the other planes they turn right and left, so they're getting they're getting that equivalence and and that fair share of kind of all markets they plan. Our goal, uh, we've invested, we've got the network, we've got the planes, you know, we've got everything. Our challenge as an organisation how do we get people to turn left. Right, and you do that through marketing, you do that through service, uh, you do that through your brand. So, kind of your earlier questions about the brand, kind of, kind of all lead back to this point here, which is, we're there, we've got the right to play, so we just have to tell people now, and convince people, and um, and, and it's really as simple as that. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of the analogy I use, um, and perception. It comes back to perception. It takes a long time, um, but we'll get you your two degrees <laughs> sim, and you'll be away <laughs> laughing. <laughs> okay, okay. Now, <laughs> talking about service. I think your people have traditionally been
0: here in New Zealand in terms of customer service, right, with with both Two Degrees and the Vocus uh, business. Is that, is that still the case today in terms of where your customer service people sit or do you have some offshore? What is that?
1: Uh, so uh, 100% based in New Zealand. So we acquired, uh, again, Orcon in 2014, uh, I, I think, and uh, they actually had 100 um, seat contact centre in Manila. Uh, and, again, one of the first things we did when we acquired Orcon is we actually relocated that contact centre mm-hmm. back home. Um, so, one hundred percent New Zealand-based contact center, one hundred uh, percent work from home. So, even in a post-COVID world, we've done a lot of work to to really put that workforce remote. That's um, what they want to do. It's 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 the you know the choice they want to make. We give people the option, um, but you know ninety percent plus of um, contact center-related staff want to work from home for obvious benefits like more quality time with you know the family and the kids, um, less commute, you know, you don't have to pay ten dollars for a sausage roll in Auckland, you know all of those sort of things. So. So yeah, 100% contact centre, team-based. So, so you're not Elon? <laughs> no, no, not at all, not yet. We've got to, um, it is an area that is that is challenged at the moment. Um, again, with um, the, the lack of immigration coming into the country, um, you know, you've got things like COVID and uh, a lot of contact centre staff um, associated with that. So a, a challenge for the industry in New Zealand across the borders, really, how do we... You know, how do we fulfil that resource and pipeline so we continue to do, deliver great service? And it's something where you know I think is an, an industry we're trying to work on. But it, it's yeah. that moving forward, it's going to be one hundred percent Kiwi based. It comes back to our core values, our core DNA. Um, so you know we won't we won't offshore.
0: Okay, yeah. I think that's. Uh, I mean, it's definitely something that uh, that stands out. And yeah. yeah, good on you. Now another thing that has been going on is the selling off of cell towers. So, you know, that, that's something that's being investigated, uh, you know, locally with, with competitors. How does that sit for, uh, for two degrees? Do you see that as as something that could be beneficial in the future of the business in terms of, you know, freeing up funds and so on, or would you yeah. expect that to stay the same?
1: So the best way to think about it is it was, it was never part of the investment. Um, so, again, we've got two great shareholders in um, Macquarie Asset Management and uh, We're Super. The desire for the the two degrees in in focus assets was to buy a growth business that had good growth potential. So, good news is it's not part of the plan. So uh, that, that's good. So we're we're focused on executing the plan. Uh, it's with interest we watch it. So there is there's obviously a lot a lot happening in that space. I think the key point on it is it's not at the it's not at the competition layer. So the uh, the tower sales are really selling the passive infrastructure, um, whereas the competition happens at that services layer, the active layer and kind of everything in between so uh, it looks interesting uh, if you look at again you know some of the sort of values and multiples are getting you can you kind of see the logic behind it um, so we'll watch with interest um, again I don't think it's um, I think either way we're in a strong position if you go back through the history of competition this isn't just about mobile networks it's uh, you know to have a party that might own infrastructure that wants to welcome more tenants on it's probably a pretty positive thing so uh, so either way, I think it's, a, you know, two degrees and it'll be a very strong position moving forward uh, regardless of what happens.
0: What else is happening? What else should we be uh, looking looking out for from two degrees now?
1: So, so the thing you hopefully you won't see is the integration. Uh, the message we're sending is you'll continue to see that, you know, the same great service, uh, seamless integration, silly dumb things like billing errors. You know, our customers won't know what's going on. Um, So that will define success for us moving forward. Um, We're continuing to roll out our 5G network. So um, again, a big part of uh, the investment of the last 12 months and certainly the next few years is gonna be the continued rollout of our 5G network. So we now have uh, coverage across Auckland, uh, Wellington and Christchurch. Um, So if you're a Samsung and Apple user with the right phone, you're enjoying our uh, phenomenal 5G service. So that's gonna be a continued uh, uh, investment that we're gonna have to roll out and deploy. So um, that'll be a big focus for the business. But more importantly, it's how we're going to turn up in those high-value uh, market segments. So again, how we turn up in business, uh, you'll see some new campaigns hitting shortly, which is, uh, you know, for, for the first time really having a business focus on how we're turning up in market. I've just told my competitors what's going on, so they, they might keep an eye out for it. <laughs> marketing team will be shaking their heads. You'll start seeing some early signalling that the the challenge for this business is just a perception. Uh, we've got the right to play. We've got the right to win. Uh, we just need to let customers know that, and so continue to see our strength in the consumer business, that's our bread and butter right, so you'll continue to see strength there, uh, you'll cons- continue to see the strength of a mobile and fixed player. So uh, I think the other interesting challenge you have is DNAs are different across mobile and fixed companies and it's how you get the blend of both of those businesses moving forward. So you'll start having conversations with us that are fixed and mobile conversations, not just mobile conversations and vice versa and um, the ex focus business, you'll stop having conversations that are just fixed, you'll have having conversations that are fixed and mobile. Um, so that fully integrated company, um, you'll start seeing, uh, you'll see continued investment in the network, 5G, um, you know, eSIMS, uh, you know, I, IoT at some point in the future, which is really exciting. If I could come back in a different life, I'd love to be an IoT man. There's so much cool stuff happening in IoT. But in the meantime, I'm focused on our culture and our people. We talk a lot around technology, integration, I'm very, very obsessed with uh, with the culture and our people. Um, I'm four weeks into the job now. I've spent um, quite a bit of that time around the country visiting retail stores, uh, visiting offices, speaking to people. You learn so much. And and again, when I talk around that passion for that brand, you know, I use the example I went into the and Mall and the, the team at the Rickerton uh, Two Degrees store there are just amazing, right? Their passion for the company and the brand... Uh, it's just just amazing. Whenever I drive around with the kids, they're pointing out two-degree stores everywhere. It's, it's pretty cool stuff, right? So um, it's how we just continue to embrace that and integrate these businesses as well. And, you know, if we're successful, you know, our company, you know, our competitors will start paying attention to us. If not, we'll just stay under the radar and we'll, we'll be a $2 billion company before they know it. So.
0: Uh,
1: now you mentioned eSIMs e- e- there.
0: What can what can you
1: tell us? What's uh, what's coming on that, that, that front? Yeah, so obviously eSIMs is uh, a key and emerging part of what's going on across across the sector. So it's obviously provides a very seamless way for. Uh, people to switch between providers, the ability to offer customers an eSIM opportunity um, across all the players is really, really important to us. If, you, if you've got again the right, right handset and capability to do it, um, so yeah, e- eSIMs will be part of the future in terms of the way we operate and the way we switch between providers, or whether you have dual providers on a phone as well. So, um, so that development's underway, and um, you know, similar similar to to what others are doing in the market, we'll have that as an option available to our. Our business and consumer customers in the future,
0: right? And um, one of the things that we've only seen one provider do in the New Zealand market is that sort of single number across say an iPhone and a you know an Apple Watch. Is that something that's that's hard to do? I know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you yeah. Know. So
1: that so again, to be clear, the the E-SIM journey is much more than the mobile phone. Mm. So it's it's connected devices and all connected devices, and so yeah, sure essentially that is hard to do, and that's why you'll see most players go on a, on a roadmap of deployment starting with. Again, mobile devices first, and then and then going through connected devices thereafter. So, yep, it's it's hard, but again, I use the word nauseum to my team about equivalence. So, you know, we have to be equivalent. We have to offer similar services. So, you know, it is part of being a a, a key player in this connected world we live in, um, and it'll be a key part of our roadmap moving forward.
0: Now, we've got um, world class fiber in New Zealand. We're in a in a really lucky position. Or uh, eighty. Seven percent of uh, of homes are with access to fiber, but now you've got a, a mobile network to sell. What is that? What is that going to look like in terms of fixed wireless, particularly with 5G growing from? I guess something that's yeah, you know, it's a pretty small percentage of of coverage at the moment, mm. but uh, you know that that's going to
1: grow. Oh, so. so I love fixed wireless. So now I'm a, I'm, fixed, <laughs> I'm a fixed wireless evangelist. So fixed wallace has, has a very important role to play in kind of what we deploy out in the market. Um, if you, again, if you look at uh, certain usage behaviours in our household or certain budgetary requirements, um, it's got a really important role, particularly as we're about to you know, enter fairly inflationary times. So um, again, it's, it's no secret that you know, the, the fibre input prices that we, we pay to our local fibre companies, so we're about to get a very significant increase uh, to that. Our only alternative... Is the only prices we can control are those that are within our remit. So, so therefore, more cost-effective alternatives will will be delivered at fixed wireless access. That's just the reality of the economics we're facing with um, with the local fibre companies. Um, I would go a step further and say that the the service is pretty phenomenal as well. So I um, I played a trick recently on my daughter. Um, we've obviously got gig fibre coming into our house, but I told her I was changing out a Wi-Fi access point and I actually put a five G. Uh, connection in a room, and um, she she wouldn't go back to the to the old connection. So she's you know she's getting four to four hundred and fifty meg download to a room at the moment. Um, so the service, the service is phenomenal. The ability to offer that at a price point that might be more appropriate to certain households is going to be really important moving forward. I think New Zealand Inc, like the rest of the world, is is going to face some challenges, and I think it's really important you've got a balance or a portfolio of products that you can offer customers. You know, at the end of the day, you've got people where fibre is fit for purpose and it's going to be the alternative. You've got fixed wireless that's going to play a really critical role, be it from a 5G, which is from a performance standpoint, you know, com- competitive with three, four hundred meg entry level products in the market. But more importantly, from a price perspective, um, you know, is it going to meet a need in the next few years? I think it will. So uh, so I'm a, I'm a big fixed wireless broadband player. Um, one of our core pillars is, you know, developing innovative products on our incredible networks. So. Um, quite simply, our customers will get the best experience on networks we own, um, and that'll be a big part of our strategy moving forward. Yeah, I think there's always sort of a how do you market that in a way that
0: it's, it's that I, I guess it's a balance for you know for the business in terms of yeah from a revenue perspective you probably prefer as much to be coming over your own own network, but actually you, it's pretty hard to uh, to well I think it's probably impossible to beat fibre from a a reliability and a and a performance standpoint at, uh, yep, so at and, this time, right? Yep, so. and, and
1: don't disagree for, again, for the, you're never going to force a customer, be a consumer or business down a path for a te- technology path that doesn't make sense to them. So it comes back to uh, the why. So be that your usage requirements within a home or a budgetary issue versus the... The demand so um you know don't disagree with the sentiment that you know fiber is a phenomenal product the investment this government's made in fiber was was visionary at the time the quality of the network's amazing so don't doubt any of those portions our our role as a challenger is how do we balance that need versus you know cost pressures that that, that homes are facing and if you can offer an alternative great but you got to be very clear that it's uh, what you're offering and, and what you're comparing it to. So again, I think there's, as an industry we've been historically quite poor around promoting products. That you know, a, again, I always put a very customer-centric hat on, which is you've got to be very clear on what, what it is and what it isn't. And you know, in this in this country, we've still got about 300, 340,000 homes that have still got copper. In Israel, we we're going to go through a copper withdrawal process. We're going to ripple that copper out, and we've thrown everything that the kitchen sink at as a fixed line provider over the years to try and switch those customers. There's some customers that either just don't want for whatever reasons they're either the laggards or they don't want the the, the front road, um, you know, front of their house uh, dug up. They're the sort of people that the fixed wireless broadband might be a perfect alternative for. But um, but again, got to be very clear on what it is and what it isn't. Um, and at the end of the day, we're never going to force a customer down a path that's not not what they want, and that's just not where we are as a company.
0: Yeah, and looking at that rural. Uh, Coverage and the the options that are available. Obviously, sort of satellites something that's come back into the into the fore after many years of it uh, being a very very sort of small niche. But it's something that a lot more people are are paying attention to. Yep. Then obviously there's your rural broadband through fixed wireless or yep. copper. We've got you know wireless internet service providers. Yep. As well, one of the things that I I note sometimes when uh, I'm looking at a particular address and looking for what's available in terms of uh, you know service to that location. It might well be that there's cell sites about, but there's only so much capacity mm. on those. how How do you see that playing out? Will there be a, a portion of uh, of customers that will be growing with that interest in in satellite, or do you think there's an ability to kind of increase how many? Customers, yeah. you you can as you you know move forward with 5G and so on. Yeah,
1: the, the balance you have with with managing mobile networks is again how do you maintain a consistent and quality customer experience, and that's the the balance all players face over fixed wireless broadband uptake versus mobile broadband. So clearly there's a usage differential between uh, a mobile user and a and a fixed user. So that's that's just a challenge of making sure that the customer experience of the, the mobile network is not uh, important so that that requires investment in spectrum and the rural stuff is really interesting so we're, we're obviously party to RCG so there's this spark Vodafone and, and two degrees that are party to RCG that's actually uh, working incredibly well in terms of um, kind of the investment that's made and the continued build out of providing services uh, through that uh, RCG group um, right so that's that's
0: basically three competitors working together on on rural connectivity.
1: Correct, and yeah. it's 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 again we, we compete, but it's it's how do you service those areas to provide them with a quality of service um, that they would otherwise not get. And uh, I always use the analogy: whenever three competitors compete, it's normally for a pretty good reason, which is you're trying to achieve a greater good for for a customer outcome, and that's that's what I think RCG's uh, achieved very well in terms of ser- servicing those more remote rural users. Uh, but to your point, there are other competitive alternatives, alternatives out there. Um, Satellite's a good example. It's been um, mentioned a couple of times in the media that um, there are players like Starlink um, and that, that have entered the market and coming back to our pro-competition stance, you know, we, we have some very good partnerships with, with what we build. Take the WISPs out there again. Um, uh, it's important that WISPs have capability beyond kind of the services they provide in terms of reaching the, the wider internet. Um, and we're very proactive in all those spaces. So if I put my pro competition hat on again, uh RCG's doing an amazing job. We embrace new technologies like Starlink and satellite and we enable WISPs to compete. So it's a big challenge that I think everyone needs to lean into. Um and it's you know, it's it's what we're up for and it's what we've been doing for an extended period of time.
0: Is there anything extra that, that you could do? I know, you know, between Spark and Vodafone, I th- um and I, I may have this slightly wrong, but something that looking at recently it looked like with Spark, you get your your rural kit, you you plug it in to the power at home, sort of as simple as that. Vodafone have an option whereby, you know, an installer comes and, you know, make makes some uh effort, I guess at cost to Give you that better connection between the sale site and uh, and the home and location. It? Any any changes happening two degrees on that site?
1: So I just think again, as an industry, we're very aware that it, it's something that's really important, which is connectivity into the the rural sector, the rural community. So and I think initiatives like the extenders and those sort of services, it's, it's how, do, how do we do it in a cost-effective manner that's delivering, you know, I use this word equivalence a lot, but a near equivalence outcome for those more challenging um, places to reach. It's something that, again, we remain committed to. Um, if you look at, again, you look at 5G rollout, again, how do we how do we have the right amount of emphasis on rural and regional New Zealand over, um, you know, Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch. And they're the sort of things that, um, again, we're very passionate about, Uh, We think about a lot, and again, we we try and work how we can do it in a cost-effective manner. So uh, no silver bullet, but we're, um, again, if if I could just keep coming back to my customer-centric view of the world, you know, we're just as passionate about what's happening in rural and regional New Zealand as we are in, uh, in kind of the more metro areas. Great! Oh, it's been it's been really really interesting
0: (laughs) catching up, Mark. Um, I know there'll probably be some questions that have uh, that have come in because, as well as the podcast, we do you know we're live streaming this out to. uh, You didn't tell me that out to a few (laughs) platforms. Uh, So um, so it may come back to you with some questions, or 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 maybe it's. uh, Maybe we, we need to have a, a sort of technical session with, you know, yeah.
1: that side of the business. There might be some yeah, there's other. There's plenty of people smarter than me in the business. Other, so, other uh, But yeah, to, actually uh, I actually think it'd be a, to, it'd to be a great in. idea to get, um, again, we've got some amazing technology people in the business. And I think you'd have a fascinating uh, session with them with your your, your viewers and your listeners. Um, so yeah, more than happy to line up those people as well. Yeah,
0: no, that, that sounds good. Well. Thank you again for your time, Um, and thanks to our listeners for joining us here on the New Zealand uh, Tech Podcast. We can't finish the show without saying thank you to our incredible show partners for their support of the New Zealand technology and innovation ecosystems. They are Gorilla Technology, HP, 2 Degrees, Vodafone, Spark, Cyclone, and Aruba. Thanks, everyone, for, uh, for joining us, and we will look forward to uh, catching you for the next episode. Awesome. Thanks All so right. much. Cheers, Appreciate mate. it. Cheers. No. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.